0: Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 79. We talk about HubSpot email deliverability, the new AMP blog posts in HubSpot, and some quick SEO processes that we could implement. This is the podcast for marketing managers or sales professionals who are either using HubSpot or are considering using HubSpot. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Founder. With me is my co-host Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Look
1: really good now that I've had some baked goods. <laughs> It's a bit low on energy before we started recording, but the baked goods always come through, don't they? They always do. There's always chocolate or
0: baked goods somewhere on the line. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to call this the pre-birthday episode,
1: Craig. Yes. Happy birthday to you tomorrow.
0: Thank you. And that is the 6th of April.
1: In case, yeah. In case
0: anyone's <laughs> wondering.
1: In case you're wanting to put that in your diary. <laughs> diary. Yeah.
0: All right, Craig, on to our inbound thought of the week. And this is the search opportunity that we've been talking about. And this is a blog post on moz.com. And it talks about the state of search behavior. And we're going to choose number 13 this week.
1: Yeah. So just to quickly recap for listeners, what this uh, study looks at is clickstream data, which basically means they've aggregated data of what people click on in Google search results. So it's really interesting and useful to have that kind of access to behaviors. And so this one is talking about what percent of uh, Google search results go to Google shopping results. Uh, which is always interesting. And we're seeing this more and more in the search results. You search for something, oh, and there's shopping results. It's always interesting to think what percentage of queries would actually return a shopping result. And the, resu- uh, the um, analysis was 9%. Which, which
0: I, is quite high, right?
1: It's really high. Yeah. I saw it, you know, so almost 1 in 10 search results returns a shopping result. I think that's high. If you're on Amazon, I'd say, oh, yeah, obviously it's yeah, low. But, exactly. you know, on Google, when you're searching for a Billions of things each month. Anyway, out of that, the clickstream data showed of those, the people that clicked, it was about 0.55% of all search clicks actually went to a shopping result. That's actually pretty high. That's good amount of clicks that you can get going through to a shopping result. And that's not even just including the actual Listing results, are the results one to 10. So uh, good information there, I think, for people that have an e-commerce site or even, even maybe not even e-commerce, but a service related thing that you could actually push through to a Google Shopping result.
0: Now, talking about that, you can't actually push a service through to a Google Shopping
1: result? You can if, if you charge for it, though, can't you?
0: No, so I've done my my shopping certification oh, last night. There we go. And you can't do a service. The only thing you can do, so for example, if you sell a mobile phone with a plan, mm-hmm. that is eligible, but not a service per se.
1: Really? It's actually not allowed. So what do they define as a service? Anything that's not a tangible product?
0: Pretty much, yeah. Okay. And, and why the plan works with the phone is because the phone's there. That's the only, I think that's kind of like the only exception, unless I'm mistaken. But um, yeah, it was really fascinating as to what you can and can't do and where things show and what the options are. So even what was really interesting is on a shopping result, you can have seller ratings, which obviously picks up from your shop. But there's also a product rating, which actually it uses different product feeds to actually show how that product is rated. So you could be selling a product that actually has a bad rating and that shows up on the shopping the search result. Right. Okay. So, uh, there's some interesting anomalies that take place. That's great. Google.
1: Okay. So I've learned something there. I'm glad you corrected me on that, but let's go back a step. So you actually were talking about some of your exams. Talk about some of the exams you've actually been studying.
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, there was this little challenge on for Google partners to do all your exams by the 7th of um, April. So I kind of took that challenge and I've got one more to go. And so I actually did the shopping exam last night. Quite a bit of stuff, but it was really good in terms of understanding what the possibility is in terms of what you can sell. You can sell antique goods, you can sell even handmade things because it, it actually enables you to do that on Google Shopping. So very broad in terms of depth because obviously there's YouTube, there is search, there's display shopping shopping. And goes on and on, right? And they've just brought out a new certification uh, in the last days called mobile sites. So they're finding that's where lots of things fall over. And so now they've brought a certification for developers and, and partners to actually do the mobile sites. And some of our team have actually started doing that. But we'll see how this comes to because we're going to talk about accelerated mobile pages in this episode and we'll see how HubSpot are implementing that within the system.
1: That's really cool. I think that's really interesting and I'll have to investigate that more because I was actually under the impression that if you could sell it on a Shopify site, even if it was a service, I guess maybe service is not the right word, but a product like it's packaged up as a product, not even repeating like a one-off purchase. If it was on Shopify, you could actually push it through to... Google Shopping. So, that's interesting. I'm being yeah, look, there. Yeah. I
0: will have a look at my notes, but I am pretty sure that that is not the case.
1: No. Well, good to raise it. We should put some links in the show notes to, to cover that.
0: What cannot be advertised on uh, Google Shopping, right? Ticket sales, vehicles, financial products, currency, services, real estate, and recurring billing. Okay? So, they've stated that that's not the case. The only exception was that example before, whereas the mobile phone with a contract is okay because it's a physical device. All right, on to the next part of the show, and we're going to talk about the HubSpot marketing feature of the week, Craig. Now, there's been a few things this week, and this is a, quite a big one, I think, in terms of email deliverability and protecting, uh, I guess, HubSpot's protecting themselves with email deliverability and making sure that they're giving everybody on the platform the best
1: possible experience. Tell us more about it. This is really interesting. So this is rolling out. So just to be clear, we're reading actually from the release notes on this. We haven't actually got this or seen this in our portals yet. And HubSpot's saying it's rolling out over the coming weeks. I think it's really good to highlight it because uh, it's a good addition to something they released just a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, an option in an email send to say, you ticked it on and it said, we won't send it to low engagement contacts.
0: Yeah, so now that is actually
1: uh, a default. It is, yes.
0: In, yeah. And I like how it you- <laughs> prompts
1: you. It'll actually say, it almost like pops up and goes, oh, by the way, would you like us to tick this on?
0: Yeah, and it actually tells you, like I was sending an email out on Monday and actually said that 20 of the people on that list of 100 were actually in that list? And did I want to actually exclude them? Now, one reason I didn't exclude some of them because I know people read them in Outlook. They've got large preview panes and they read my message really quickly or I send reminders out for stuff and they go, yeah, I've got it. Cool. So it could read in that example, it could read that they are disengaged, but actually they've technically have read it because I've rung them and asked them, but it's not registering as an open in the system.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's useful. you've got to be careful whether you enable with um, automation emails as well, because exactly. they'll appear in a nurture. <clears> so you're often preparing them in advance and especially if they're a part of a thank you. Yeah. So I think this is always tricky. What's, you know, those people that sign up for lots of things yes. and they, they might not even read them, but then exactly. they sign up for something else. And if you've said, oh, don't send them the thank you email, they might never get it. So that's Correct. actually a bad experience. And they w- that was the one they were going to open, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, th- that's all preamble to this new release that they've got. So, And the point of mentioning it is that HubSpot is focusing on, I guess, email experience. So wanting to make sure that the people uh, getting the emails, are getting a good experience, and also as a sender of emails, that you're not jeopardizing your potential performance by sending it to lots of emails that might bounce. So this new feature, what it's going to do is they send out kind of a segment or a a subset of your list. Say you've got a hundred contacts, they'll send it to 10 and they check whether it's actually getting a hard bounce. If there is an abnormally high rate of hard bounces, they'll actually pause sending the rest of it. And they'll send you a note in your portal that says, hang on, do you realize that uh, the first people that we've sent this to, it's bounced. So do you want to check it? And this might be because it's an old list uh, that you haven't sent to for a couple of months or that's changed for other reasons. So they're giving you that notification. I think this is really good because you don't want to send out a huge email list and have 50% of them hard bounce and that affects your deliverability score. So Yes,
0: yeah, so I'll take one step back. There's there's obviously a hard bounce and a soft bounce. Now, a hard bounce is an email, email that's gone out and has been returned because the sender doesn't exist or that domain doesn't exist any longer. So... It's a good way to find out if people are not there anymore. So, be constantly be looking at this when you send out emails and understand why. Quite a few times, we've got email addresses with a letter wrong in the email address, misspelt things, or people have misspelt themselves. And it's actually a good way to just keep that uh, email list clean.
1: Yeah, and another thing, uh, we've read the industry results on this before, where they'll say up to thirty <coughs> percent of your email uh, contacts, email addresses will churn over the course of the year. And a lot of that's not because they're actually bad emails it's because they'd move jobs or things like that, so they actually exactly. change their email. I'll make another note on that, which is that's why I, especially people that are moving through their careers quickly, they'll actually sign up for things with a personal address and this is why I mentioned to clients that it's actually fine when you get gmail people signing up with gmail addresses yep. in depending on the scenario because often they just want to use their personal address because maybe they're going to be moving on and they yes. want to always have that contact. Yep. So having a personal address come through is not necessarily a bad thing.
0: <clears throat> All right, on to our bonus marketing feature that we week, Craig. And now we've talked about this for a while. This is do with accelerated mobile pages. This is something that Google came up with because speed on mobile was getting an issue. So what HubSpot have done, they've actually enabled this on blogs and this is across the entire marketing platform obviously not free but from basic all the way to enterprise what it does is that it actually will next time google crawls your site and you've got this feature enabled it will basically create an accelerated mobile page so it'll load pretty much instantaneously and there are some certain settings you can do in terms of text size color etc in the system but it's a feature i would encourage everyone to actually utilize because this pushes your results up the results page when it comes to search. All right, onto our marketing feature of the week, Craig, and we're gonna highlight here the page performance report. This is one of the very underutilized tools in the system and basically shows us where we can make improvements. So this works even if your site is not on HubSpot, because when you connect everything together, it'll actually crawl the entire domain It'll highlight pages and what needs to be fixed. So this is a really key thing within the tool that can really... These are one of those, I think, 80-20 items where you can really get to the bottom of issues that you have on your site, fix them, and get a massive uplift. So
1: I totally agree. And we've mentioned the page performance report many times on this podcast, and it's always worth repeating because we have clients we go to and they say, oh, can you get me an analytics um, report of the popular pages on the site? And I'm going... I'll do better than that. Just go to reports, page performance, there they are, listed in order of popularity. And what you're highlighting is, yeah, that little yellow uh, exclamation mark that there's things that can be optimized. Now, we're mentioning this uh, in conjunction with a post on Moz, which we recommend. It's called Minimum Viable SEO. And this is really just... Uh, an overview for people that only have, say, ten minutes uh, a week to work on SEO. And we have clients like this that say, "Oh, look, I don't have much time. But what can I do? What should I focus on?" So it's a great blog post to read. And uh, we've got a screenshot of just one section of it where he talks through what can I do, you know, with a little kind of a mini SEO checklist for each post or page. Go through the list, tick those things. And the way you work out which pages you want to start on, you go to your HubSpot page performance report and just work down the list. Sort them out and it basically guides you through how to do this. And you know what's funny about this,
0: Craig? If you look at the things on this list, they're pretty much all the parts under the Optimize tab of landing pages, website pages, blog within the tool. So it's a clear indication that it's in alignment with everything that's going on. And I think if you're using the tool, this should be... A breeze. All right, onto our sales feature of the week, Craig. And this is HubSpot CRM task queues. There is a video in the show notes that is on YouTube. I'd encourage you to look at it. Basically, what it does, it works on contacts, companies, and deals, and it gives you the ability to actually put things into a queue. So, if you want to have a queue that's based on follow up, or let's say you have a different queue for every day of the week, and you want to put Certain tasks into it, this gives you the ability to do that really quickly and basically work through a list. So, once you've done the task, if you so say, for example, if you choose that you need to make a call to a person, when you click on that task, it'll take you exactly to the call location in the contact. Once you've done what you've done, you click next or continue, it'll mark it as done and onto the next one in that uh, queue of tasks. And once you're done, it'll say you're finished. It's all cleared. It's all great. Fantastic. You've done a great job. But what this does is actually keep focus of what is going on without actually jumping to different parts of the tool and going, okay, well, I need to go back to task now and I'll click on the next task. Whereas here, this seems to be a consistent header uh, navigation on the top, which says, I've done it, finish it onto the next thing and keep going until you finish your task list. But they call it a task queue. All right. Now, with that, and I think this is a really key indicator, what I think one of the reasons they've done this is that they shared a really interesting statistic, which said 80% of sales require five follow-up phone calls after the meeting, yet 44% of salespeople give up after one follow-up. So as a best practice, every deal in your CRM should have at least the next step of what needs to happen. So if there's one thing you take away from this, go and look at everything in your CRM or in your database and see where they're at and whether there is a next step and whether, you know, the next step might be, it's a, uh, not a good deal or not a good fit, you know, change the status, put them into a nurture list or a, I'll look at this in six months list. And, um, make sure that all your contacts are up to date.
1: I really like this. HubSpot's putting a, re- a lot of focus on process these yes. days. And you see that on the marketing side as well with their projects and, and their calendar to an extent, which we actually haven't used much. Although no, we we're, haven't, have we're, we? we're starting to use uh, potentially with one customer because it actually brings together a whole bunch of uh, things. So it's quite nice and, you know, they've got projects and, uh, a, whole, a whole range of you know pre-built checklists that you can use. I think this is just this is a really nice side of HubSpot that they're bringing in, putting that process overlay. And I think the tools are still basic, but they're getting better, and they're they're actually getting quite functional now.
0: Absolutely. I think one of the things that I've noticed that when you're doing things consistently in the tool, and you're going back and forth to a lot of things, uh, what ends up happening can be a bit frustrating at times. You, when you go back to that tool, for example, you've got to then go through the whole process to get to the right place or the page or the blog landing page, etc. I think with this whole task queue is actually making things streamline and focused in terms of getting through that, that list of tasks in the most efficient manner while using the tool. All right, on to our opinion of the week, Craig. Now, this is a blog post from Seth Godin. I really like Seth. He really... Gets me thinking, and it's. But he it talks about the invisible fence. It's a pretty short blog post. Let me read it to you. There are few fences that can stop a determined person or dog, for that matter. Most of the time, the fence is merely a visual reminder that we're rewarded for complying. If you care enough, ignore the fence.
1: It's mostly in your head. That's really good. Uh, that whole idea of limiting beliefs, and uh, have you have you uh, uh, what's that? Sorry, they talk about the five monkeys. It's, they did this famous experiment. This is a bit off topic, but <laughs> <laughs> did five monkeys. they put five monkeys in. Yeah, uh, there was a lab condition and a ladder, and at the top of the ladder ah. there was like I think some Reward. bananas, yes. yeah, and then a hose. And so a monkey, when it would go up to the ladder, they'd all get wet because it went for the banana, and they all got hosed. <laughs> And so then after a while the monkeys learned to pull each other down. And so then what they did is they gradually replaced uh, monkeys uh, with who hadn't been, like they stopped um, the hose, and they put monkeys in, replaced them. And whenever a monkey would go, even though they wouldn't get wet anymore for a banana, all the other monkeys would pull them down. And eventually they replaced all the monkeys that had originally been in there getting wet. And so it was all new monkeys who had never got wet. Right. And they'd all learned whenever someone went up the ladder, pull them down. Yeah, so, right. yeah, it's just this idea of learned behavior. Yes. And what... Oh, that really fits
0: in with that. Uh,
1: and that's what Seth's saying. It's this learned behavior and it's like, actually, take a challenge. Why are we doing this? So, that's I really like this. It ties in really well with the resource of the week, Craig,
0: which is do with cat ringing bells. <laughs> so, I'd encourage you guys to look at that. We'll share it on the Facebook page. Yeah, right. Um, it's fascinating because that is a learned behavior and I'll tell you why, because we're in the process of uh, training our dog and... We're teaching him that learned behavior that when you use a clicker or you do certain things, the certain expectation there is with doing that. So definitely. But I think why I like this opinion is that when you think about what we do in, in, in marketing and in HubSpot, you don't have to always follow the rules. You know, is there, I mean, there are guides there for things that happen. But always I would be asking myself the question is what if we could do something else or what if we stood on the other side of that fence, so to speak, what could we do or what could be the changed result of this campaign and this thing that we're after? So definitely look at that. that
1: Excellent. Love it.
0: All right. Onto our podcast of the week, Craig. And I'm going to highlight this. Uh, We've been doing a lot around (laughs) page performance, uh, SEO, et cetera. This is Marketing School, episode 245. And what I loved about this is how to analyze your competition in less than 10 minutes. Eric and Neil have talked about this in, in less than 10 minutes, so I'd encourage you to look at it. But inside HubSpot, you can go to the competitors tool and put in all your competitors and actually monitor them and see how you're going against them. So this is one way of within HubSpot to actually analyze your competitors and see what's going on. So you can see how many Facebook fans have got, how many Twitter fans they've got, what their Moz score is. There is so much of data there that I don't think people realize that's actually there, that's at your disposal and your fingertips. So go in, have a look around, put in some competitors and see what's going on because you might actually figure something out. Look for low-hanging fruit. All right, Craig, the resource of the week is yeah. a fantastic cat ringing, which I mentioned before. <laughs>
1: Look so at it. I was surprised you hadn't seen this when I showed you. to no. take It's gone absolutely viral. So I, I imagine most of our listeners by now have seen the two cats ringing bells for treats. If you haven't, you're in for a treat. It's fantastic. And if you've already seen it, just go and watch it again. I can't stop watching this video.
0: I wonder too. if I can get my dog Milo doing that. Getting to press a bell for some treats. I should give that a go. Just ding, ding. It's just <laughs> classic.
1: I love it. So we've got a link there.
0: All right. And you got a quote, Craig, for us?
1: Yeah I, close, saw this, close off the week. yeah, I saw this on Twitter from uh, Justine Musk and she says, a visionary is someone who magically moves between worlds while building bridges so that others may follow.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: I really like that. You know how we've talked about this uh, whole idea of basically creativity and bringing worlds yes. together and what you've mentioned, Steve Jobs, and you know how he brought design and yes. automotive design yes. kind of to technology and things like that as an example. It's a bit of a buzzword, this term, like innovation broker, this idea of bringing together two separate things and like that's innovation. It's often not even a new idea. It's just combining two new. And I just thought that quote from Justine pulls it together nicely.
0: Fantastic. Well, Craig, we're at the end of episode
1: 79.
0: Now I encourage all everybody listening, please join our WhatsApp group, join our Facebook group, ask questions, be involved. Don't be afraid. No question is silly. We're all learning and we're all getting better at being the masters of marketing and HubSpot. So I would encourage you to get on there.
1: Oh, well, actually, and I was reading, uh, can I make a request of listeners? If you haven't already, could you go and give us a review on iTunes? Five stars, please. If you're not going to give us five stars, you know how they say, "Oh, if, if, if you're not going to give us five stars, please drop us a note. Look, I'll just say, give us a review. We're, we're happy for any review. We'd like five stars, but if we can improve, give us the feedback in any format you can. That's convenient. We'd love that.
0: Absolutely. Well, Craig, until next week.
1: Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.